This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Lori Paranjape, a Nashville-based designer whose journey to design followed a first career in TV news. You can find Miss Paranjape, as she's known through the firm she founded in 2008. You're going to hear about her journey, as we will be exploring the work as well. If you are so inclined, follow along as we walk through some of her projects. You will find those links in the show notes. So enjoy this episode of Curated Chill with Lori Paranjape. This only works if you follow along and participate. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a single episode as soon as they're published. You can also find more inspiring content at AspireDesignAndHome.com. Because we've been talking for a few minutes and because we've spoken before, you know where I'm going with some of those images. And there's one in particular that I'm so excited to talk to you about. But before I do, I want to... I want to back up a second and talk to you about the practice and the firm. I want to, how did you get your start in design? When did you know? I ask this question often because I think it's so important. People come from different backgrounds, different orientations, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, but the people who find their way to design, I I just, there's always an amazing story behind it. What's yours? Um, mine is sort of the school of hard knocks. I did not go to school for design and then work for a firm and get my legs and work on spectacular projects and get to see how all of that unfolds and learn business practice and, you know, marketing and all of those. I did not get to do that. So I have a degree in English literature. Um, so that was where I started. I had a, um, short career, a three-year career as a TV news reporter. So reporting live from a very mild snowstorm in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, kind of gig, um, that I had and, um, ended up, uh, deciding when I got married and we wanted to start a family to let that career go and stay at home for a while. And staying at home meant feathering the nest, as it were. And me feathering the nest ended up me really getting into it and then feathering the nests of others. And then eventually I had a, you know, my huge shining star moment when I hung up my business cards that I had printed at Kinko's when Kinko's was a thing and hung them up in the paint store. And I offered $35 paint consults. So that is the beginning of my career. $35 paint consultations mm-hmm. from a, from a storied three-year vet news reporter. Correct. Did you, have to, did you have to do the weather shot where like it would be blown a little bit, but you had to just make it look like it was. Oh, I did. I did snow angels in like in a live shot of in like this much snow. For sure. I did. Yeah, I did. So what is the draw? English lit to news, totally get it. As a journalist, the importance of, of, of speaking, writing, reading well, um, and, to, and to practice that as a, as a discipline, totally get it. Where, where's the connection? Where was the jump? It's, it's actually really super clear to me now that my, my natural abilities, my natural gifts, the things that, that are just come easy to me is communicating thoughts and ideas which there's zero difference in what I did as a reporter and and what I do now in that my, what comes naturally to me is explaining something 
to you that I fully understand that I can then tell someone. So it used to be about a complex political, something that the local whatever was voting on. And then now it's a concept for something that doesn't exist and they can't actually see, but I share with them with enough clarity that they can understand it and that they begin to believe also what it is that I clearly already understand and believe. Isn't that interesting? Because, and I've said this before, and I think it's, it's worth repeating, you know, architecture widely accepted as a language unto itself, right? Mm-hmm. And if architecture is a language, then design is the narrative. Design is the story. Design, okay. is, design is the dialect. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, I think what you're saying, it makes perfect sense to me. So then you decide, okay, I'm going to go hang a shingle at the local paint center for $35 color consults. By the way, I think that's brilliant. And I'll tell you why, because color is probably one of the most widely misunderstood aspects of design. It's one of the most feared for sure, which is kind of surprising to me. Some people will spend $10,000 on a sofa, but not $36 on a gallon of paint. Right. I don't, I don't understand it, but you know, for, for that reason, I think that that's the one thing that color is, is one of those things. What made you think that you were qualified to give color consultations? And then was it a fake it till you make it? Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. I love yeah. that. I mean, it was easy to me, you know, to see color and see undertone. Like I, it just, that was just there, right. That's just something that's either there or it's not. Um, so it was a purchasable item when I didn't have an entire business to sell to anyone, but I did know that people struggled with making this decision. So it had to be a small investment that people were willing to, to purchase from me and add to cart, like, okay, I'll get approval on a color before I invest in the painter and all of the paint and actually having it done. So I knew that that was a, a clickable, viable thing that didn't take a ton of commitment. They didn't have to have a family meeting about it or a budget meeting or anything like that to buy my $35 or heck, maybe two hours. So then they spent 70, right? It wasn't overwhelming. And, and I didn't have the cred. I didn't have the, the, the chops to back it up. So at that point, my authority was just simply the confidence that I did feel like I, I could, I could do that well. So I wasn't overselling. It was, but it was something that I could sell. I could do that. You can ask me what colors work best in the, in the space you had. And, and I could answer those questions and, and guide people. So, you know, where'd I get the confidence? You'll have to talk to my mom about that. She's going to be in our next episode. <laughs> Is that me? Yeah. So, so, so tell everyone how sorry I am. No, I'm used to it. I may, I may leave it in. It's one of those things that... <laughs> I didn't even decline it. I just said, do not disturb. Oh, my gosh. I'm so, so sorry. It's all right. Okay. Okay. One of the things that I think is so interesting as you, as you talk about this and having, having spoken to so many creatives and designers in particular, it feels to me like, you know, 
we've gotten so tired of talking about the pandemic and then, you know, everyone's in post-pandemic conversation and it's this return to some sense of normalcy, but normal is not what normal was before. And what I think is interesting, you talk about this idea of hanging a shingle and being a color consultant. I wonder too, if the, if the business of design is starting to fracture a little bit from the, from the business side and get more compartmentalized because, you know, it's broken out into so many things. I think that most people who hire a designer for the first time, for sure, don't recognize or understand the value of what amazing creatives do, what designers do. It's not just how much is your hourly, what's your retainer, and how, how, what's your trade discount. It's not about that. It's about your eye for, for color. It's about your selection. It's about your knowledge of accessorizing. People don't understand how challenging and difficult accessorizing can be until they actually start to do the design your, your, themselves. And that's one of the things I want to talk to you about because we're going to look at some images in a little bit. Your eye for accessorizing is fantastic. Has it always been like that? Oh, I know you, you actually said the word practice earlier when you were first introing me. Um, I, I think it's practice. I think, I think there is, I think design is a muscle and, and mine is now getting more muscular and, you know, in the beginning it's weak and you can't see why someone's work looks better than yours. You can't figure it out. And then the more and more practice um, you get the more refined your eye gets. Like, I think, yes, you come into it with a level of taste and, and those sorts of things. Um, but I, it is a practice. It is a practice to see what is pleasing and, and what works and why and understanding it and then practicing it. So, so I think that is, that's kind of, that's process, that's experience. That's the practice of design. And I, I, I totally agree with you too. And, and what's so interesting is all of these different aspects. And again, we're going to get to some of your images, uh, some images from some of the projects that you've worked on. I, I, one of the things that I'm just so fascinated by is you've, you've got color, which, which clearly you've sort of used that as the, as the, the first step in your, in your design. And then this accessorizing, this scale and size and sort of how you compose a room and what the story what the story has to say how much of the story that you're telling is based on where you are geographically uh very little maybe i think you know geographically meaning um you know, in relation to a city or in relation to the country or those sorts of things. Yes. Meaning the South or the North, or if I'm working out West, not, you know, not as much. Um, I think, you know, we did a country house outside of um, Manhattan. And so that country house belongs in the country here in Nashville. It belongs in the country up in New York. It could be in Montana like that country living concept really, I think is translatable everywhere. I don't think it's regional. I think it's um, depends on how close you are to a city center vibe more than anything. Perhaps I'm going to challenge that idea a little bit though, because I think that one of the things that you do really well, at least what I see in your design, in your work, it's, it's very 
to me. It's very people centric. It's not about the stuff. It's about, it's about the people and then making the stuff and the things and the colors and the textures and, and the application work for them. And, and, I, and, and I feel like that's sort of a, that's a Southern idea when it comes to design. That's so interesting. I mean, I wouldn't know any other way. You know, I've never worked anywhere. You know, I've never lived anywhere and been a designer than living in the South. But the the projects 100% should be a space where the people who know and love these clients the most walk in and feel like, of course, this is yours. Like, obviously, this is, you know, the apartment in the city on the Upper East Side of a literary agent. Of course, that's what it looks like. You know, or you walk into a music studio that's disguised as a pool house in, you know, the outskirts of the suburbs here in Nashville. And you're like, of course, that's that recording artist's space. Looks just like him. Like, it looks just like him. If he were, you know, a house incarnate, there he, there he is. That's what he looks like. Um, and if you go into the main house, looks just like his wife and his daughters, right? Like that's, there's, there is no project without client just in the literal sense of someone paying my bill. It's, it's that there is no soul. There's no character. There's no Genesis. There's no muse. There's, there's nothing without who they are. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause as you were talking, I was like, that's the same way that people select their pets. It's like how people look like their dogs. You know what I mean? But, but to, to sort of back into that idea a little bit, it's really interesting because my background, you know, I'm a native Angelino. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And I love the idea that is California design. California has a style. Mm-hmm. California style has always been from the 70s in the canyons, you know, with, these, with this bohemian lifestyle, where it was all about bringing the outside in and the inside out and blending the lines back to, you know, back to the Neutra VDL house, you know, from the, from the 1950s in Silver Lake, you know, where you're looking up at Lautner's silver top. And the idea there has always been about outside in, inside out. It's interesting because I feel like Southern design and I think that there is a Southern style. I feel like this Southern style, instead of putting the outside or the inside at the focal point, puts the, puts the person and the personality at the, at the center of design. That seems to be from the best designers I've, I've seen, yourself included, that seems to be always representative in the practice. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the very reason that I fall hopelessly and madly in love with my clients. I mean, I, I become, you know, I'm smitten with them. I think they're, you know, charming and adorable and, you know, clever and, and funny and talented and all of the things that they are, because like, I'm in love with all of that. And because I'm making the spaces for them and sort of walking in their shoes and living their lives with them vicariously, as we design these spaces around them, that, that who they are matters and informs every bit of what we're doing on the interior. So in order for that to come out, you know, it's like baking, you have to bake with love and then the food tastes delicious. And, you know, it's kind of that same concept with, with design. I feel like you're listening to curated chill. We'll be back in just a minute. I am constantly in awe by the resources available to the design trade. 
One of the best and most iconic, the A&D building in New York. If you are in the business, you already know. The A&D building is New York's best resource for kitchens, baths, and fine furnishings. Featuring the city's largest selection of kitchen, bath, appliances, cabinetry, tile flooring, carpeting, shading technology, lighting, and contract furniture. Where luxury design defies expectations. How do they do that? By housing a collection of the world's most elite design brands in 40 showrooms. Explore and be inspired. The A&D building is where the world's best designers go, and they're open to the public. World-class creatives know where to get world-class design products. Find your bliss and the showrooms that can show you how to get it at New York's crown jewel of design, the A&D building. For additional information, find them online, adbuilding.com, and in the real world at 150 East 58th Street, New York City. Thanks for listening. Now back to Curated Chill. You have to design with love. I, I, I get it. I, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to over-romanticize this, but I do feel like there is a certain amount, a different type of emotion um, that is attached to Southern style in general and Southern design in particular that does lend to, to, those, to those qualities. So with that, you know, when you and I first spoke, I was looking at your website and for those who want to follow along and, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on the website, we're going to go to Instagram in a minute, but there is this hero shot on your website, mrsparangipay.com. It is. And, and because my, my background is both, you know, native Angelino, native Californian and an audio first person, you know, a content guy. Um, there is this studio, which is obviously, in a, in a secondary structure, it's pool house, or I'm going to let you explain it. But, you know, my observations, because you can see the gold records on the wall, it looks like there's a couple of platinum records on the wall, to be honest with you. So I'm curious, I don't know if you can talk about whose this is. I have some thoughts and ideas because of the pictures that are there, but I'll let you. Um, but this is such a, it's hard being creative and you know that. And when you're designing for other creatives, and composing a space that has to be conducive to their creative process as well. That's like next level stuff. And so I'm curious if you could just sort of run me through this project um, and tell me sort of how it all came together. So the, the ha- they hired me for the house to do a massive renovation on the house and she's Southern and he's from, I think he's from Detroit. Um, and he's the artist and she wanted, she wanted the house to be pretty and there's a sweetness on the interiors and it's, it's soft and cozy and family and all of these sorts of things. When we went to do the studio, that's when he and I had conversations where he was driving design saying, I want it to feel like a loft. Like I want it to feel like a, like a, like a loft in Tribeca or a, you know, industrial kind of vibe where it doesn't, you know, he has the sweetness of his home life. And then he has this artist piece of him and where he wants to record music and collaborate and write music and you know, work on the production and things like that. And so he wanted to leave his home, walk 15 steps 
and be somewhere else. And so that was a very clear directive. It's not something we very typically do within one structure because I feel like there should be some continuity into a home. This really was a separate building and it's disguised. He doesn't want it to look like a place of business or let too much curiosity form about what's happening inside this this space. So it should it blended into the you know the property, um, but he wanted you to walk in and feel like you're somewhere else. So when he goes to work, he's at work. This is work mode, and so we really pushed to make sure that this was its own vibe and had its own sort of an urban feel. There's some residential in there. You know, there's a kitchen and and there's a little sleeping loft where, you know, artists who come in to write with him or record with him for a weekend, they can crash up there. We didn't want to make it too comfy because we don't want anybody moving in. Um, but so I think that was where we started with this. He's a cool guy. This space had to reflect that. Like, I think, you know, I think you can already tell that just by looking at the photo that that's true. Um, so this is what he, this is, if he were a structure, this is what it would look like. And I think it's interesting too. One of the things you noticed, I, I, as I was looking at this, I was, I was thinking, you know, they could have very easily closed the loft off Mm -hmm. and made it that secondary bedroom to allow some privacy. But then when you said that, it was like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Visit, don't stay. Yeah. It's a crash pad, (laughs) not a bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. Something else that you did too is it is homey, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you allowed for an abundance of personality to shine through. I've I've spoken um, to some creatives before, you know, designers who would say, hey, look, let's get rid of some of the paraphernalia. You know, Mm -hmm. let's, let's find a place to either hang the guitars on the wall or stash the mics in a cabinet or hide some wires. You know, let's, let's go, let's go all, all the way, put those metals away. You know, you don't, you don't need them out. You don't need all of this. You went the opposite direction. And it's funny for me because if you could see my desk, you would see all the paraphernalia because that's kind of like for, for those in the biz, that's the thing. You want to look at that because it reminds you of what you did before and challenges you for what you can do next. Mm-hmm. And I think for you to be able to recognize that is just pure genius. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I live and, and sometimes work here in Nashville and we have a lot of incredibly talented people. And when you're a designer in a town like this, you sign some non-disclosure agreements. You sign, you know, you gotta gotta keep a lot of projects quiet. Um, on the some of the unspoken <clears throat> things that I've done, one of the criteria from almost everyone I work with is they don't want to look at that stuff. They don't want displayed some of the things, and and we have this conversation each time. Like you earned that. Like you you worked so hard. You dreamed of that. And, and you did all of these things in order to achieve that. And how do you not in some appropriate place want to have a spot for that? So that happened during this project too, that you're referencing this studio was he didn't want that in his home. He didn't, he doesn't want you to walk into the foyer of his home. 
and see his gold records on the wall and, and see his album covers and see all of that stuff. He, this, but this is where he works. So his requirement was that it be sort of condensed into one spot. We don't have it everywhere. It's, it's in one place. There's, is a hero shot of it. So it's, it got included in the shot, but it is the smallest wall in the studio where we did this. So there's a, there's a humility that every single one of the artists that I've worked with have that they don't want it to be the centerpiece, but with a little talking into it, they're willing to have a spot for it. If it's, as long as it's not, you know, the main spot. And I love that. I think it's fantastic. Moving on, um, going now to your Instagram, which is Mrs. Paranjape. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to to scroll down. There's a there's an image. I think the second one in. It is a um, it's kitchen, and it's very dark and moody, but it's got this amazing circular window mm-hmm. above the sink. Mm-hmm. I, I because you know if people are so afraid of dark kitchens, there's just this this fear of it because when not done correctly it can look it's it's dark and moody and it's it's not the heart of the home that they want it to be when done correctly it's not only the heart of the home but it's it's also just this pleasure center you know where you you can have everything you want and it it stimulates even more of that family friend and loved one conversation so, so what you're looking at, the, that image and the image that I posted today, um, that's the same house. So you see the kitchen shot and then what you can't see is the floor plan. Then you move into the scullery or the dirty kitchen that's beyond that main kitchen. And then we have this bar and that's where the dark is. So we use that method of creating darkness as a way to step you know, for one thing, our projects are massive. I mean, these houses are huge. So sort of corralling some of these large spaces and making them feel livable and kind of, we need to segment a bit and create something that you can walk through instead of just like popping into this 10,000 square feet, you can't find orientation. Um, So that dark um, bar area was a moment where we went from large, airy, open spaces, and then we condensed down a little bit. And that's where we pour the bourbon, right? Like we're not, we're, we're doing that on purpose. We, we mush that and close it. So you feel a little bit of that in there. So you're in the bar, even though it's not truly walled off entirely. So we do that a few times in this project. So we go down this long gallery hall and it's, I forget what it is, 60 feet long. And, and so we segment, so we, we segment some, some doorways. We use lighting to sort of, you know, tell you where you are and orient you. And then we have casings and doorways. Then we have a black segment and it's, it's wallpapered in black grass cloth. And, and so we're doing that on purpose. So you feel the, and then you feel the, as you, as you move through these spaces, it's breathing, it's, it's breathing. It's, it's, it's unfolding. Backing up to something that you had 
you had said you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but I'm I'm interested. This idea of a of a dirty kitchen, um, because they've gotten so popular, the idea of it. By the way, I think the idea is is genius and it it makes perfect sense. But it's interesting because you can do so much with it. The popularity of the of the dirty kitchen, the working kitchen, if you will, um, you know, it's in Southern California. It's been around for 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 decades. If you count an outdoor kitchen, because outdoors is, is has always been equal to the, to indoors as far as usefulness of space because of weather and and an ability to do that. But then. I want to say maybe, well, technically it's, you know, when, when kosher kitchens mm-hmm. started working into design, then you've got, you've really got two kitchens essentially, mm-hmm. but they're in the same room. And then you had a large Asian population in the Los Angeles area start with this, you know, kitchen for show where people would get together and talk, but it would never, you'd never cook in there um, mm-hmm. because they had the, the dirty kitchen, the working kitchen, which was more suitable to really high temperatures a lot of odors, um, mm-hmm. oil splattering, um, mm-hmm. because that's that's how, what the what the authentic cooking called for. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. And then we saw sort of a a European spin on the second kitchen, which was more of a butler's pantry or or more of just a just sort of a, a working kitchen for company, mm-hmm. not home. Anyway, the idea of it is really fascinating. If you think about it, you have the space, you have the ability to do it. How does that open up what you can do as a designer? Well, we we use them all the time, not every time, but most of the time. And when space allows, um, it's a concept that my New York clients are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. We barely have room for a kitchen. What are you talking about that I can have two? Um, but the idea came for us from opened floor plans. So you have an open floor plan. You have, you know, your kitchen and you're kind of finishing up as your guests are there and you're making drinks at the bar and you're warming up hors d'oeuvres and you're putting things out and people are congregating and gathered in your kitchen. Well, that's great for the first 20 minutes. And then very quickly you have dishes piling up in the sink. And, you know, if you serve food and then you have an empty pan and then you have all of this stuff. Well, it ended up being a space so we can now entertain in our kitchens, like you said, like I think you referenced the Asian community in in LA, but where you can entertain and use your kitchen as part of your living spaces. And then there's the mess in the back that you'll tend to later. It gets tucked away. There's a dishwasher. There's a full sink with a disposal. There's countertops. There's, you know, the coffee makers back there. So it's not running in the main kitchen. There's a, a, a smoothie station. So you have refrigeration for your fruits and veggies and yogurt, and you can make your smoothies in the back and you're not kind of making a wreck of the kitchen. Um, no question. You know, I can't give the asterisk enough that says this is a luxury item. So we can just operate under that assumption. I understand that. Um, I don't want to be tone deaf that everyone needs a dirty kitchen because you're not supposed to put dirty dishes in your kitchen sink. Of course you are. Um, but anyway, that's where it sort of started for us. And it's, so it's a combo. It's a, it's a full walk-in room. Oftentimes there's flow. I talk a lot about, um, in the design of a house during architecture, that there's some sacred path from typically her corridor that leads us through the space until we get to the kitchen Island. 
So everything that comes in with a human being from her car has to be distributed by the time we get to the kitchen island. So that is a place for cleats, a place for your target bag, a place for the, you know, the dog to be let out of the crate, a place to put down the dry groceries, a place to drop off your Costco stuff, a place to, you know, put the mail and charge your phone and drop everything from your hands. So by the time we get to the beautiful kitchen, we're hands-free except for maybe the items that go into the main refrigerator of the main kitchen, everything else has been accounted for. So when we do have the luxury of doing ground up, which we often do that, my devotion to that square footage in a house is tremendous. We are, this is not like, do not come at me with a cubby room with you know, a couple of hooks on the wall and an open bin below. Like, I don't even want to talk about that. I do not wish to talk about that. <laughs> like this is, we're devote, we are giving some footage to this. We're devoting cabinetry and flooring and surfaces and, you know, closed doors to the utility of families living in these large scale homes. This is not overlooked. This is exceptionally important to the way that these households keep their spaces tidy, which kind of leads us back to the original question, which was the dirty kitchen. And so that's kind of how we're compartmentalizing large footage is we're assigning things and allowing the house to work really well because things are where they belong and the utility is happening in the spaces that are designated for that. Form follows function, follows form, follows function, follows form, follows function, which lead, which is extraordinary. And, you know, even into, I'm looking at another image right now, um, your, your, <clears throat> excuse me, your Hudson Valley country house, small space, mm-hmm. but again, I get it. Don't just a couple of cubbies and a couple of hooks. Here is this really narrow, I'm going to call it a mudroom mm-hmm. and You've got a closet, but then to take that idea and make a full bench along the whole wall and to add some imagery and to add the hooks for certain things, but to make it so functional. It's funny, I've never been there, but I can almost imagine exactly how you use this um, and what's behind those those cabinet doors. Um, and I would imagine too that you you probably have, you know, in the Hudson Valley, you have a lot more of those than than one would in in Los Angeles or in other areas in the South, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I love that idea. Transitioning to now, it's it's the it's the use of of space and making things magic, right? This this glory, this grateful farm. I just love that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so cute? Yeah, it is. Um, and it does. New York hippies. And so this country house is like perfect for them. So it's kind of a play on the grateful dead and their gratitude and this farm life that they love outside the city. And so just perfection in the name. I love that too. And with the, with the barn itself, you know what I love too? You didn't try to make it something it wasn't. Mm -mm. That's what I love about this in its, in its full authenticity you know, the beams are still there. You've got a lot of things exposed. 
it, it wasn't glossed over. You didn't try to hide the Z out of the door. You know, you didn't try to make it so that the, the natural wood wasn't there anymore. What you did is you took what you had and you, you made it farm glamorous. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's outstanding. Thank you. Thank you. This, this is supposed to be a comfortable place for the weekends. She goes and tends the chickens. He's working in their garden, their dinner garden. And, you know, this is not supposed to be pretentious or, you know, anything even brushing up against pretentious. This was, this is, they truly live there, hang out there and entertain like crazy there. And it's meant to be comfortable when you enter into this space, you're relaxed. And that was the entire point. I love that. And the last thing I want to end with, it's, it's funny. I always find myself ending with, you know, at least the walkthroughs with the smallest space possible. Because I have this theory, you know, it's not that anyone, let's, let's start off with the fact that not anyone or everyone can be a designer. There is, there is a large amount of skill and there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of education and practice that goes into this. But when you have big spaces and big budgets, let's just say that it can be a little bit easier mm -hmm. than, than when you have small spaces and have to really focus. There is a uh, Chileno Bay, did I yes. pronounce that correctly? Yes. Um, there's this shower and the image that you're using is, is from the door itself. And it shows this absolutely amazing view. But that's the before. Okay. So, so that, what did you do with it? That, that is Chileno Bay as my clients bought it. So we are about, when we go into the off season, we will demo the wall you're looking at. We will take and put another shower outside on the balcony, and then we'll sit a bathtub even further out. So when she's in the bath, she's, she's private, but her view is unobstructed ocean. So this- Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. So, but here, here's where the question was. Here's where I was going with this. For, for me, when I look at something like this and I see a view like that, so this is the before, Correct. Can you walk me through, because I can't really tell what's beyond that. There's, I can't tell if it's a pergola or what the overhang is, but what do you do with, what do you do with this? How do you, how do you turn this into something that maximizes that view? So, I mean, this, this bathroom is sort of closed off. The bathtub is awkwardly in front of that shower, just to the right of that view. And then the, the shower is there and the initial conversation was making, you know, giving you more glass, but really in, in Cabo in Mexico, the, the climate is spectacular. It's, you know, you can shower outdoors all the time, really. So it, we just didn't feel like that. The reason that they purchased this house in particular was because it's on the most spectacular piece of property on the ocean. So now our job is to renovate this house on the most perfect lot and maximize that ocean. So everything we do will be to that end. So we're going to push this bathroom. The bathroom will stay inside, but we'll create an outdoor that takes advantage of being on this cliff and having ocean views. So when she bathes, she'll listen to the waves. 
That is so cool. Will you do anything else to the shower? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yes. Well, this will be completely redesigned. Steam shower. Do you do you do a lot of those? We don't do a ton of steam showers. We have done them in the past. Um, it's that's pure preference for the homeowner whether they like to sit in and and do steam or not. Got it. So yeah, so we'll still have the shower chamber. We'll have an outdoor shower, and then we'll have a bathtub on the outside. Okay, that's that's amazing. Um, and and maybe we can revisit it when you're done. I would love that. How long will this project take? It will take two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. Is that because decision making, or is it because in Mexico things take a little bit more time? There, it's it's my experience with the contractors that we're using down there who've done a lot in Chileno Bay in this resort. Um, they're phenomenal, and they get things. They handle permitting and they handle everything for us. Um, but no, we have an extensive amount of planning to do in structural because the light is condensed a little bit with some of the structures. We'd like to pull that back. We'd like to create, you know, sight lines that don't exist. We'd like to change the entrance into the house. So we have a lot of massive renovation to do on this whole project. So the planning phase will be long and then we'll allow for the clients to enjoy during the season. And then we'll dig in after the season is over. So that's just a normal arc for us that we plan around them enjoying the property and we plan during the time that they're enjoying it. So we're planning right now. That's excellent. Well, I can't wait to see it when it's done. So you know what else I'm excited about is you are going to do something else for Curated Chill. And I'm really excited about this. We're going to, you're going to do a little mini takeover and I'm so excited about this. Just to explain it a little bit, you're going to do a short series of interviews yes. with, with other creatives, other designers. H- how do you feel about that? I mean, first of all, I could just sit here and talk to you all day about design and just go through this whole process. So I love it. Obviously, I'm passionate about it. And um, I love the, to hear the perspective of others and paths to success. And, and I love to hear you know failures or missteps that I can share and they can share. And, and I think that there's, there's so much to be um, brought out and understood when talking amongst your peers. Um, so I think it's a, a brilliant way to, to share design from a totally different perspective, which is that designer to designer. It's really amazing because I feel like that type of forum will allow for some really interesting ideas to be discussed. And I'm, I'm so honored that you agreed to do that. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled that you're going to be doing that. I'm so excited for it. I'm really looking forward to it. And we won't talk about who we might get to talk to, none of that yet, but it's super exciting. Yeah. And there's going to be some amazing guests. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I'm excited Lori- to listen to other episodes also. <laughs> thank you. And Lori, this, this was so great. This was so much fun. Um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for making the time today. And I'm so excited because the next time that we get together, I'm just going to be the fly on the wall and you're going to be doing all the work. I love this. (laughs) I can't wait for that. I'm excited. This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast. You were listening to 
a conversation with Lori Paranjape, the amazing Mrs. Paranjape, an exquisite designer from Nashville, talking about her projects, not just in Nashville, but globally. Hopefully you heard the passion in her voice and you understand the immense talent that's there. And it's really interesting. I love these stories about creators who came from other careers. I haven't actually spoken to anyone before who had come from a, uh, a news career, but it was very cool. And uh, thank you, Lori. Thank you for the time. Really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to having you back on the show when you actually take over the mic and you will be introducing and interviewing other creatives. That is going to be very exciting. And I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you to all of the Aspire Design and Home partners and sponsors. Thanks for listening. Make sure that you are subscribing to the show so that you don't miss a single episode. And if you want more content, you can find it. You will always find something to inspire you at AspireDesignAndHome.com. Until next time, come back to chill.